Let's turn our Bibles to the passage that Chris read for us, Matthew chapter 1. We're studying the book of Matthew, and when I began the series, I started in Matthew 4, saying that we would eventually come back during the Christmas season to this passage, to the the passage having to do with the actual advent of the Lord. And so that's what we're going to look at today uh, and, to, and next week, a couple next, uh, a couple weeks. Uh, so we're, we're in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for your word and we ask that you would please help us as we are being informed from this word of history, of actual facts, of people and actual things that happen we ask that you would please be with us, that we could understand and take a very familiar story, but understand the depth and reality of what is going on and understand this for our lives, how this has practical implication, not just for December, but for our entire lives. Bless us, we pray. Open our eyes to the wonder and mystery and glory of what you have done and are doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew uh, is going to begin and talk to us about what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I wanted to begin by saying this. This is a time of gift giving and people give gifts to one another and everything. And, and the Bible talks about God's indescribable gift. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, it's like Paul just bursts into praise and he says this, he said, thank God for his indescribable gift. And then a little bit earlier in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. These are the things that the Lord Jesus has given us. He's given us, God has given us his son. He's given us a gift. Now, what we're going to look at today is that Jesus Christ has come as a mediator. We just had a wonderful Sunday school class. This week and next week, we're studying this in, in the Sunday school class. And I told Dan when he was teaching, I said, I'm actually preaching on the same thing. And I'll be like a, a, an application for what you were saying. So here, uh, he introduced, but I want to, I want to talk to you today, uh, today as well about a mediator. Now, what's a mediator? A mediator is somebody who comes in between two parties, all right? Now imagine this, imagine that uh, uh, there was a company, uh, uh, a manufacturing company, say, of some sort, and the ownership or the management and the workers on the shop floor were, 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 were in a major disagreement, a major impasse. They couldn't, they couldn't work this thing out. And what they turn to then is they want a mediator. Now, who would be a good mediator for owners who are in management and, sh and guys in the shop who are working each day with their hands? Who would be a good mediator for them? Well, imagine somebody from management these guys don't want and somebody from the shop these guys may not want. But imagine that they find in their company that there's a man there and he started out in the shop and he spent years and years at starting out from the lowest position, working his way up in the shop. And that after all of those years and he has, 
He has integrity. He has been befriended, all of the men in the shop. But at some point, they brought him into management, and, and he is now trusted in the management. He has both sides, as it were, an interest in both. He has relationships with both. He has integrity with both. And they ask him to then be the mediator to help them work out this situation. That's what a mediator does. Now, in, in, in our situation with God, we are in a broken relationship with God. And please, at this point, that's why I moved over here to the other side. At this point, this, this, this illustration of a mediator breaks down because we're not in negotiations with God, okay? We forfeited all of that by our sins. But what God has done is he has appointed a mediator to mediate between us and him. Now, God is infinite, and God is holy, and God is just, and God is pure, and we are fallen, and we are frail, and we, we have to have pulses, and when our pulses go, we go, and we have to breathe a couple times, several times a minute, and we have to eat food in order to keep us going. God is infinite. He's eternal. He's always been. He always will be. How do you mediate between God and man? And the answer is, is that God gave us a wonderful, wonderful mediator. And this mediator is both God and man. He is fully God and he is fully man. The son of God became the son of man. And we're going to see that in this passage. In fact, I want to point out something out early before we jump into this passage. This passage that we look at actually describes the mediator very perfectly. Look at verse 21. It says, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now look at verse 23. And actually the New King James doesn't quite do this well as well as some of the other translations because the wording is exactly the same. Verse 23, verse 21 and verse 23, the wording in the original is exactly the same. And it says, she will bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. So again, look at those two verses. Unfortunately, I have to turn the page in my Bible. But verse 21, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 23, and the virgin will bring forth a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's what we're gonna look at today is this wonderful mediator who is both Jesus and Emmanuel in one person. So we're gonna do this under three headings. First, we're gonna look at the facts that are presented to us. We're just gonna look at the study of the facts. Then we're gonna ask this question, why do we need a God-man, Jesus Emmanuel mediator? And then thirdly, we're gonna look at the blessings of having a God-man, Jesus Emmanuel mediator, okay? So let's begin with the facts as they're given. Now, we can go right to the beginning of the book of Matthew, by the way. Look at Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Jesus is, is revealed as being the promised son of David, the promised coming king, and the promised son of Abraham and such. Now notice, then what Matthew does is he gives us a genealogy, but he does it in a very Jewish way. And you're going to get this a little bit better when next summer we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. And you're going to get this idea that numbers are very important in the Jewish way of thinking. And especially the number seven. The number seven is actually called the number of God in, in, in the book of Revelation. And there's seven days a week. It's, it's just amazing how in, in the Jewish thinking, one, two, three, four, five, six 
is still incomplete, incomplete. And when you get to the book of Revelation, there's seven seals and there's seven trumpets and there's seven bowls. And by the time you get to the seventh one, then all is complete and all is done. Well, Matthew's doing the same thing. Because if you look at verse 17, Matthew says this. So the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. If you're a Jewish person and you're following this along, this is what you're thinking in your head. Wait, 14, 14, 14. Wait a minute. Two sevens, two sevens, two sevens. Wait a minute. Two sevens, four sevens, six sevens. Time is moving, time is moving, time is moving. It is coming, it is coming to the actual consummation. And then with the birth of Jesus, the seventh seven, the fulfillment of all of the prophecies, the fulfillment of all of the kings, the great king has come, the, the, the time has come, Messiah has arrived. That's how Matthew has framed this. And then he gets to the birth of Jesus. Now, interesting, after all of this majestic history that we have up to verse 18, verse 18 meets us with a real problem, a real problem. And that is this. Look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The problem, of course, is that Mary is in, she is engaged to Joseph. Now, Mary, now you have to realize, you, have, you can't, you got to put yourself into the Old Testament, uh, uh, the, the old uh, old world understanding and the sort of biblical understanding of things. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. That was actually a legal binding thing. Mary's parents probably went to Joseph's parents and said, and, and, and said we would like to arrange a marriage for our son and, uh, and her for our daughter. And they came to a legal contract, a legal binding contract that Joseph would be married to Mary. They may not have even known each other, okay? They may not. And for those of you who get newsletters from our missionaries in Africa, they recently showed a picture of a couple. And it was a bride and a groom, and they were sitting there, and then our missionaries were around them, and they were celebrating their wedding. And then our missionary wrote that that was the first day he met her. It was a completely arranged. He looked nervous, too, by the way. <laughs> he looked nervous. But uh, that was the first time he had ever met his wife on the day that he was married. Now, Mary and Joseph may not have even known each other at this point. They may not. We don't know exactly how this thing works out But in terms of that. But they were legally contracted to one another. And then all of a sudden, Mary shows up pregnant. Okay? She's, she's, she's starting to, sh she can't hide it anymore. She shows up pregnant. And her explanation is, is that it's a miraculous pregnancy. She was never with a man, and, she, and the Holy Spirit came upon her in a miraculous and powerful way, and, and now she is pregnant with the very Son of God. And she has all this information because in Luke chapter two, uh, 1, an angel tells this to her. The angel explains this to her, that this is what happened. Now, for Joseph, of course, it sounds like Mary has gone off the deep end, okay? Mary's, Mary, and it sounds like Mary is covering for her own immorality, okay? Mary slept with somebody, she got, she got pregnant, and now she's come up with this, this fantastic story that, um, 
that it was, it was some miracle of God and some angel told her that. So then Joseph comes up with a solution. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just or righteous man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph, now certainly Joseph is angry. And certainly Joseph is, is, is frustrated. And, and Joseph could have been filled right now with self-concern and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Number one, and, and back in those days, especially in Nazareth being a small town, this was, this was very inappropriate. Even for Joseph to have been with Mary and to impregnate her before they were married would have been very inappropriate and, and very much shame. With her. And Joseph is, is, could have easily publicly said, wait a minute, I ain't the dad. I didn't do anything unjust. I I didn't, I didn't commit fornication. I didn't sin in this way. And then Joseph, being a righteous man, also recognized that he needs to divorce her. He needs to end this. She has violated the covenant. She has broken the covenant bond that they have made, and so he's going to divorce her. But Joseph decides that he doesn't want to make her a public example. And that's what the word means, to make a public example of someone. He doesn't want to make this thing real public and come real public. And so it's almost as if Joseph's dad went to Mary's dad and said, hey, listen, we don't want to make this public or anything, but here's the marriage contract. We just want to rip it up, and we want to be done with it, and we want to be over it. That's what we want to do. We want to keep it quiet. Don't want to shame Mary. But we're done. We want out. We want out of this thing. So look at verse 20. It says, but while he thought about these things, and by the way, that's an interesting word in the original language. It means to be wrestling with something at a passionate moment. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? That's the, the emphasis that, that Matthew put in this. When he was doing this, what should I do? What is going on? How do I deal with this? How do I fix this? Verse 20, and then notice I love that word, behold, look, check it out. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph. Now notice this. Son of David. Now, the genealogy of Joseph has just been given. Joseph is the son of David. He is a son of David. Jesus then will legally be the son of David as well. Luke gives us Mary's genealogy. This one gives us Joseph's. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is. Now, there's the emphasis. Is of the Holy Spirit. It's true. She was right. She's not lying. She's not covering for immorality. It really is a miracle. This is an absolutely miraculous birth. That's what this is. It's a miraculous conception. No man has been involved. She is pregnant. It is unexplainable. It is Mary's egg. There was no human seed, as it were. This is a miraculous, powerful work of God. And... She herself is going to bring forth a child. Notice what it goes on to say. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So Joseph, the baby's sex is announced, who he is, and his name. He shall be called Jesus. Jesus. In Greek, it's, it's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus in Greek. It's probably the, the old name Joshua. In Hebrew, it could either be Yehoshua, which means Yahweh is salvation, or Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Either way, the name means that God saves, God delivers. And so he says, you shall, she shall bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. More on that in a second. 
So it says this. So after all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Let's stop right here. Notice that phrase. Spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And now he's going to quote the book of Isaiah. Spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Do you know what that is? That is a wonderful little summary uh, definition of the inspiration of Scripture. The Bible is when God speaks through prophets, they write it down, and now it's, it's for us. And that's what he's saying here. This was done so that that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah saying, and now he quotes Isaiah 7, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah said that a virgin was going to have a child. Isaiah said that that child was to be named Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel then is translated God with us. This child is going to be God with us. He is, this is who he is going to be. Now, Joseph, these are the facts. Joseph uh, does the right thing. He's a righteous man. Look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till, he had, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Mary and Joseph did not know one another in a marital conjunction way because there was to be absolutely no sense that there was a mistake, that this was actually not a real uh, pregnancy. Now this pregnancy was from her and Joseph. No, no. They did not come together until after she had Jesus, and then they had a bunch more kids. And so what we see here is this incredible, miraculous birth and this incredible, miraculous person. Now, this is the mediator. This is the perfect mediator between God and man. This is Jesus, and this is Emmanuel. This is Jesus, born of Mary. He had her DNA in many ways. He was, he was like her, and yet he's also God, the Son of God. He's God himself. He's God, the Word made flesh. In, in, in the book of Luke, the angel comes and says, Mary, you have a son, and he will be called Jesus. And then the angel says, and he will be called the Son of God. He will be called the Son of God. He's Son of Man, Son of God. He's fully God and fully man in one person. He's not a mixture, half God and half man, and just kind of shake it up like you would a blender drink. He's not that. He's not a third being. He's fully God. He's fully God, and he's fully man. He's not half man, half God. He's not, the God part doesn't make him less human. The human part doesn't make him less divine. He's fully God. He's fully man. He's Jesus. He's Emmanuel. And he is our perfect, perfect mediator. And it's a mystery. It's a powerful, beautiful mystery. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Notice the first line. God was manifested in the flesh. Look at this. Without controversy, great is the mystery of God. This is a great mystery. God was manifested in the flesh. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 5, when Paul is talking about the blessings that of, being, of, 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 of this Messiah coming through the Jewish nation, he says this, of whom are the fathers, the Jewish nation, its history in the Old Testament, of whom are the fathers, and from, can we go to the next one? There we go. Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, 
Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Now notice this. Christ comes according to the flesh, and notice he's called the eternally blessed God. And this is what the Bible teaches. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, it says this, For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, this man, Jesus, all of the fullness should dwell. All of the fullness of what? All of the fullness of God should dwell in Jesus. This doesn't say that Jesus was full of God. This says that all of the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. In Colossians 2, the next chapter, Paul writes this, For in him dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Boom. There it is. This wonderful mediator, fully God and fully man. Well, then let's ask ourselves the second question. Why do we need a mediator who is God-man? who is Jesus Emmanuel. Why do we need Son of Mary, Son of God, to be this a mediator? Well, let's, let's explain this in, 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 in detail in terms of how this would work out. Number one, Jesus had to be a man because the mediator had to be a man because man had sinned against God. Man had sinned. Angels didn't. Well, the angels, they sinned. They get cast into hell with, with Satan and the demon. They, they, there's no mediator for them. But man sinned. And because man sinned, man rebelled. Only man can fix it. Man, Adam, brought us under sin, brought us under the curse, brought us under death, brought us into all of those things. And only man can, can, can do it. Angels can't die on behalf of us. First of all, angels can't die. You can't nail an angel on the cross. He's a disembodied spirit. They could be all around us right now. We just can't see him. And if they showed themselves, we'd all freak out, just like they all do in the Bible. They said, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And they, we would all freak out. But they, they can't die for us. They can't die. They can't bleed upon the cross. And certainly cows and goats and sheep in the Old Testament, they were, they were there to make us ceremonially clean, but they couldn't atone for all of our sins. No, no, no. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We need a man to come and to die for us to make this right. But not just any man. We need a sinless man. A man who has never committed any sin. Because if we have a normal man like me and you and he, he comes to this earth, then he must die for his own sins. He can't die for us. We need a sinless man. Anybody born of Adam has been born under the curse of sin, has been born with Adam's guilt, has been born in that of Adam's race. But Jesus is a unique person. He is miraculously born. He's miraculous. He came into this world with, without any human conception in that way. He didn't bear, as it were, the curse of Adam's sin upon him. He didn't bear the judgment of Adam's sin upon him. In fact, it's interesting when you think about it. Adam and Eve are the only other human beings ever. Adam and Eve and Christ, the only other human beings ever who were born without human generation and human conception. God makes Adam, and out of Adam, he makes Eve. He makes the first couple. Then after that, there's all natural generation until Jesus, the second Adam, comes along. He is born not under the curse of Adam's sin, 
He puts himself under there. But as the God-man, as fully God and fully man, he lives an absolutely sinless life. That's one of the reasons why we need a, a, a mediator. This is who Jesus is. But then thirdly, we need a God-man mediator to purchase salvation for a multitude of sinners. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. Imagine, and this I know is stretching the imagination. Imagine I was sinless, okay? Jan's not here, she's in the nursery, she'd be cracking up right now. But imagine I was sinless, absolutely sinless. I was going to heaven based on my absolute, from, from birth all the way up, my entire life, I'm completely sinless, completely righteous in the sight of God. And I asked God if I could die for somebody else and take their sins upon me. And God says, yes, you can. So let's take Bill. I die for Bill. Can I die for Abby and Zelda and Daniel and Hannah and DJ? No. No. I'm one. I'm one. I'm one man. I'm only one man. I can die for another man. That's about it. I can't die for anybody else. Kids, if you go into a store, a dollar store. Now, they're not all true, but if you go into a dollar store with a dollar, okay? You go into a dollar store, your mom gives you a dollar, you go into the dollar store, and you say, I would like to buy this. And, of course, everything's a dollar, so, okay, 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 what do we Okay, I'll take this. You take that, you give the guy your dollar, you walk out the door. It's a dollar store. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, if you walk into a dollar store, though, and you say, I'll take everything that's in this store here, the guy would, yeah, he would do that. He would laugh. He would say, no, kid, you ain't doing that. You get one thing. You got a dollar, you get one thing. I'm one human being. I can only die for one other person. We need a mediator who will die for all of us. And we have that in Jesus. Because he is both God and man. He is the son of Mary and the son of God. He is Jesus and Emmanuel in one person. And therefore, he has infinite value and worth. This is the son of God. His blood is of infinite value and worth. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, Peter start, kind of gets to this when he says, but with the precious blood. And that word precious means it's the word that's used for precious metals and precious jewels and precious gems. But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish or spot, this is our redemption. Jesus, one drop of Jesus' blood could cleanse and wash the seven billion people in this world. One drop. Why? Because he's the son of God. He is of infinite value, infinite worth, infinite goodness. And that's because, and therefore, he can die for many multitudes of, multitudes of people. One drop of Jesus' blood could not only cleanse every single sinner that's alive in this world today, about seven billion, but one drop of Jesus' blood could cleanse and, and wash away the sins of billions of people and billions of worlds. If there were seven billion worlds with seven billion people, still just one precious drop of the precious blood of Jesus could wash away all of their sins. That's this mediator. And not only that, he is in, because he is God, he has infinite power and might. He has come to save us. He has come to die and then rise again. 
He has come to overcome death. He's come to rise above it. He has come to reign over the entire universe. He is both God and man. And this is why we need such a wonderful God, man, redeemer. We need Jesus. We need Emmanuel. Now let's apply this to ourselves by the final point, and that's this. The blessings of having a God, man, mediator. The blessings. Notice what the angel says when it, comes to, when it comes to Joseph. Notice what he says. And I think Joseph might have picked up on this. Look at verse 21. For she will bring forth a son, and he shall call, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, at this point in the life of Israel, they probably weren't real concerned about getting saved from their sins because they felt they had a bigger problem. Does anybody know what that bigger problem was? The Romans. They didn't want to be saved from their sins. They wanted to be saved from those pagan Romans who had come in here with their armies, who were taxing them to death, who were persecuting them, and who took away their country, took away their livelihood, took away most of their freedoms. They had a political problem. And they wanted that taken care of. They were looking forward to Messiah coming with his armies and to free Jerusalem and to free Israel and to make them great again like David did. That's what they were looking for. But that's not what the angel said to, to Joseph. The angel said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. He is a savior who has come to save us from our big problem, our real problem, and that is our sins. When, when John says in John 3, 16, which you all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Then in John 3, 17, John wrote this. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And this world is languishing. We were languishing then and we are languishing now under our sins. Our problem is our sin. And the curse that it has brought us under. Our problem is our sin and the problems that it causes. Our problem is our sin and the injustice that it brings. Our problem is our sin. And God's indescribable gift of his son Jesus, the God-man, the perfect mediator, has come to save us from our sins. And this is good news. This is great news. He has come to save us from our sins. What news this should be to murderers. Thieves. In fact, the very first person in one sense that Jesus took to heaven with him was the dying thief on the cross next to him. He was also a murderer. And he said, today you with me and be with me in paradise. He came to save us from our sins. Rapists, sex abusers, drug lords, gangs. He came to save them from their sins. He came to save haters, racists, bigots, liars, Cheaters, embezzlers, rip-off artists. He came to save them from their sins. He came to save filthy people who make pornography. And he came to save those who use that pornography. 
He came to save drunkards and wife beaters and cheating spouses. He came to save rebellious teens and lazy bums and rich, arrogant people and greedy and covetous people. He came to save the vengeful. He came to save the spiteful. He came to save the foul-mouthed. He came to save us. He came to save us from our sins. He came to pour out his blood so that all of the guilt of our sins would be washed away. He came to take away our sin. God in his infinite heart, God in his with his human body, God, he came and he took away our sins by suffering and bleeding and dying. And now he can offer us absolute free pardon of all of our sins. He could go in any prison. He could go into any place where there's where there's war and there's 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 rape and there's and there's murder. He can go into any neighborhood where there's there's drugs and there's gangs. He can go into any home that, that is respectable and yet and yet fighting and arguing. He can go in and he can say, I come to save you from your sins. I've come to take away your sins and to offer you free pardon and justification. And that's the beauty of having an infinite savior. All of our sins, all of my sins, all of you sins, all of the sins of anybody, anybody can be forgiven. He also has come to take away the power of our sins. The power. Sin is not just bad things we do. Sin is a power that's within us. It's a force that's within us. It's a realm that we live under. It's, a, it's called in the Bible a lordship. It's, it's a bondage. And Jesus came to free us from that, to, to, to purchase our salvation, not only by dying on the cross to the guilt of our sin, but taking the old man and having him crucified and having the power of our sin crucified on the cross and rising to new life. That's what he's come to do. And so Jesus now offers to save from their sins the alcoholic, the drug addict, who's crying out for Help me. I can't stop myself. Help me. The pedophile. The sex addicted. The lecturers. Can't keep their eyes where they should be. Can't keep their thoughts where they should be. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. Come. He has come to give them power. He has come to take that away. He has come to save them. But there's all kinds of sin addictions. In fact, all sin in some ways is addictive. He's come to save the gossip addicted, the money craze addicted, the revenge addicted, who will never forgive. He's come to kill that monster called sin. He's come to crucify it, mortify it, and he rose again to eternal life. And he also has come to deliver us from the effects of sin. The effects of sin. What are the effects of sin? Sickness. Disease, tears, sorrows, suffering, injustice, oppression, war. He's come to take us and save us from that. And one way he does that is he takes us out of that place. Today you'll be with me in heaven. I will go and prepare a place for you. Come, come be with me. And when we die, because of the rich salvation, we're taken out of this world. We don't care about this stuff anymore. It doesn't touch us and phase us anymore. We go and be with him in paradise. 
And then one day he's coming to make a new heavens and a new earth where we will live with renewed bodies and there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more suffering. We will all have eternal life. That's one of those are the blessings of having this Savior. And I'm going to conclude with one more. He does all of this. He became man. He lived among us so that he could be an extremely understanding, sympathetic, feeling, caring Savior. In Hebrews 4.15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then it goes on to say this in Hebrews 5, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who believe in him. Jesus came to be a, such a wonderful Savior that as God, he can deliver us. And as man, he can understand us and sympathize with us. And so the person who's scared, so scared, has anxiety, is fearful, and especially that fear of death, so scared can turn to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, help me. I am so scared. I am so anxious right now. Or even if a person is dying, I'm afraid to die. Jesus can say, from his throne in glory, he can say, I know exactly how you feel. My soul was absolutely troubled and disrupted in Gethsemane. I know exactly how you feel, and I will come and give you strength and help you get through this with the strength that I had to get through it. That's a sympathetic high priest. For the person who's discouraged and down, oh, one thing after another after another. I was thinking of those poor people in Kentucky and those poor people that have lost everything in tornadoes, and they're thinking, after all we've been through, after all that we've gone through as a society, now this, right before Christmas, discouraged and down, Jesus can say, I know exactly. I walked on the earth. I grew discouraged. I grew frustrated. And now I will give you my grace and strength to get through. I know exactly how you feel. The person who is tempted, 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 tempted. I'm trying to be holy, God. I'm trying to be righteous. I'm trying to be a right person. But I just keep getting tempted and fighting and tempted and fighting and tempted and fighting. I'm just sick and tired of fighting. Please help me. Please. I'm so tired of these temptations and being fighting and fighting and fighting. And Jesus says, I know exactly how you feel. I was 40 days in the wilderness without eating. And the devil pounced on me and was, and was tempting me and tempting me and suggesting things to my head and tempting me. I know exactly how you feel. I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through. And I love you. And now my strength that enabled me to overcome, I'm going to give to you. That's what it is to have a wonderful high priest. You say, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired and I'm so weary. He says, I know exactly how you feel. He's the one who fell asleep on a boat during a windstorm, for goodness sake. I know exactly how you feel. Oh, I'm in so much pain. Some of you here are in pain. Some of these people on our prayer list are in pain. I'm in so much pain to wake up every day. My body is just racked with pain. Pain. I was with our dear brother Reuben last night, and, and I could just tell in his face he was suffering with so much pain. Pain. And Jesus said, I know exactly. I had nails driven through my hand. I had nails driven through my feet. My back had already been beaten. 
I was hanging there. I know pain. I know what pain is like. I've been through that terrible pain. And by God's grace, I can give you the strength that I had to get through it. Lonely. So lonely, Lord. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. I honestly believe the loneliest man who ever walked on the face of this earth was Jesus Christ. How about angry? Lord, I'm so angry, I just want to scream. Jesus says, I know exactly how you feel. But as God, I can help you. I can give you grace. And that's why Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Dear ones, let me ask you this question. Are you one of his people? Are you one of his people? He is going to save a select group of people, his people, from their sins. Are you one of those people? He came for them. He's going to deliver them. He has been given to them by the Father. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I'm going to save them all. Let me ask you this. Are you one of his people? Let me ask you a second question. Do you want to be one of his people? Do you want to be one whom Christ saves? Do you want to be? Well, here's the good news. The very God-man, Jesus Emmanuel, Son of Mary, Son of God, calls you today to come to him. It's a free, genuine, heartfelt call to every person in this room. Every person in this room. Come to me, and I will be your Savior. Come to me, and I will save you. He calls you today. He calls you, gen he calls you lovingly. He says, come to me, and all that I am, I will give to you. All that I am is God. All that I am is man. All that I am is substitute. All that I am is sacrifice. All of my blood. All that I am is righteousness. All that I am is king. All that I am is priest. All that I am is son of God. All that I am is Lord of heaven and earth. I will give to you. And you will be mine. And I will be yours. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. If one of my grandchildren ran up to me, and I pick them up, and I hold them in my arms like this. I hold them close to me like this. They're, what are they going to feel? They're going to feel my love. They're going to feel me. And, and, and you know what I'm going to feel toward them? I'm going to love them, and I'm going to feel fiercely protective of them. You try to hurt them, I'm going to hurt you. You try to kill them, I'm going to kill you, or I'm going to die trying. I'm for them. I love them. They're mine, and I am 100% for them. They need a kidney, they can have one. They need both of them, they can have both. They need my heart, cut it out and put it in them. Jesus, the Son of God, offers to be that to you right now. Right now. And all you need to do is come. Turn from your sins and come. Just come to me. Just come. Come here. Come here. Come to me. And everything that you need for salvation is in me. And I will make that. That's the good news. 
That's salvation. What is stopping you from coming? What is stopping you from bowing your head right now in this pew and saying, Lord Jesus, I come. I come. Help me. Bless me. Save me. I need you. I need God and man. I need you as mediator. I come. All that comes to me, Jesus says, I will not cast any. I'm going to leave you with that wonderful invitation as Jesus is speaking through his word to you this morning. Come to him. And if you have a need, you're lonely, you're angry, you're in pain, you have sin, you have a need that you can come, come to him. Come to him now as we bow in prayer. Lay your burden upon him. And he will, as sympathetic high priest, say, I know exactly how you feel. Let me give you grace. Let's pray together. Father, what a privileged people we are in this little room, in this little country church. To be raised above the normal lot of mankind, where there are countries that have never even heard the name of Jesus. There are people who have not been given this offer. But by your sovereign grace, you came here this morning to talk to us and offer us your son. Thank you for this wonderful privilege. And thank you, Lord Jesus that you offer yourself still today to us in all of your glory as mediator. I pray that you will help us even now for that one who is here today who does not know you. I pray that right now they are calling out to you and that you who will hear their cry, I know you will, Lord Jesus. And that they will repent from everything this world has to offer and they will give themselves completely to you, cast themselves in your arms. Father, I just pray that you will help them to know the joy of salvation. Father, I pray for any of the saints, any of your people, any of your dear little sheep and lambs who are here. Lord Jesus, those is our great high shepherd who have come here lonely, come here hurting, Come here in emotional pain or physical pain. Come here feeling under the power of a certain sin. I pray that you will help them as they turn to you now, that you will give them grace and strength and hope and power, that you will meet with them, you will be with them, you will hold them fast, you will be all that you have promised to be. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for sending us this perfect, perfect mediator. We pray this in your precious name.